do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this edition of the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, Today's topic is about uh, human and business change, and it's hard, as we know. And uh, we're going to concentrate on the human side of change. Lots of people are looking at and thinking about this concept of digital transformation and really forgetting about digital transformation requires human beings, not just computer systems that are there. And a while ago, in one of our previous episodes, I described a model that we built uh, actually in the early 60s called essentially the bioengineering model. I know that sounds very highfalutin and sophisticated, but basically the B in the BIO activity is business activities, the I, information or technology, and the O, the organizational component. And what we described in a previous episode was it's sort of like a three-legged stool, and if one of those gets wobbly, we're going to have a problem. And when it comes to the organization side of this thing, we've actually put together a methodology, a process to address the concepts of organizational change. And we call it the ACTION model, A-C-T-I-O-N. And it's capital A, capital C, capital T, capital I, capital O, and lowercase n. And, and I'm chuckling because when we we're putting the model together, we we're looking for essentially ways to describe this. And you'll see in just a moment um, why we have that. So the A stands for analysis, the C, communications, the T, training and development, the I, involvement, the O, organization, and the N, excuse me, intervention, I-N-T, <laughs> intervention that's there. And so each one of these six letters sort of describes the things that you and I need to understand when it comes to the human change going on, especially nowadays with digital transformation. So each elements we're, each one of these elements we're going to go through uh, and talk about the importance of each one of these. And so... It's not only for dramatic change, but we have to consider the action elements on any type of change that's there because of essentially we're, we're in a situation where you and I as human beings have all sorts of pressures and change activities going on. And within that, we talk about essentially the five phases that we go through. The first is what we call essentially organizational visioning. In other words, what is this thing supposed to look like? Um, uh, identify and examine the history of the organization, the environment in which it operates now and in the future, what resources it uses, and essentially look at various organization activities to fulfill the mission of the organization. Of course, the objective is to enable the business strategy that's there. Once we have this vision, we go into an analysis. Um, In other words, the principles of operation for the business, how the organization will behave, what type of actions are going on there, categories of work to be performed, the people and selection processes associated with the work, organizational structures. Um, After all, the organization structures that most of us are in are hierarchical. 
that came from an ancient Chinese war, warrior called Sun Tzu thousands of years ago. Perhaps it's time to look at, look at something a little bit different. So we have this vision for the organization, an analysis of the as-is and desired state. Then we have to come up with some kind of design. In other words, what, the, what are the characteristics? What's the shape and reward structures in the organization going to look like? Uh, at the business level, the unit level, the individual, all that has to be cascading up and down so there's a consistency in, in what is going on. From that, we have to deploy. We have to figure out how to deploy this. You can't just uh, clap your hands and say, okay, Monday morning, the world's going to change. It's not going to essentially you know, do that. You have local conditions. Of course, you have government regulations and all these other things going on. But even in the, within the en enterprise itself, You've got various things going on in the enterprise that you have to look at to see what the reaction uh, to these types of new things are. And then once you have a deployment, you're going into essentially continuous knowledge gain. In other words, um, what happened? Was it good, bad, or indifferent? There's a period periodicity that's required to sort of check things. It's not one and done. Uh, and that's a, an emphasis that we have to make here when it comes to the people side of the business. Not one and done. You're going to have a continuous knowledge gain to look at the business activities, the value realignments and things like that uh, to make essentially these things mesh. Now, within the organization side, especially now, uh, as I mentioned, in the digital transformation universe, there's a number of common pitfalls, unfortunately. One is naive expectations. Change is hard. I know that sounds, okay, Sam, uh, thank you very much. But the naive expectations is essentially the alignment of the individual's thought processes, and we'll chat about this a little bit more that's there. There's an existing process bias. We have to recognize that people, most people, are uncomfortable with any type of change, especially when it comes to their work routine, because they look at it and say, well, you know, I, I know how to do this right now. I'm the, I'm the go-to expert. Now you're telling me I've got to go back to school, so to speak, and learn something new. I'm bought, brought back to kindergarten. I have to rebuild my reputation that's there. Organizational resistance. When you have mergers and acquisitions and all these other things that are going on and, and, and uh, uh, you know, as people joke, when we don't know exactly what to do, let's reorganize that, you know, that's there. And there is essentially uh, for good things and bad, but for the good side, when people work essentially together for a period of time, there's essentially a synergistic approach that occurs and more is done. So when you, when you have these organizational changes going on, you have to recognize there will be resistance coming up. And finally, from a standpoint of, of, of the most common pitfalls, executive commitment. I know you've heard this before, or the executive has to be committed. But it has to be more than lip service, you know, that's there. If, if you can picture, just for a moment, a plate, and on that plate you have two fried eggs and two strips of bacon, the caption will read something like this. So once again, you've got a plate, two eggs on it, and two strips of bacon. The phrase that goes, essentially, the hen contributed to the breakfast, the pig is committed. There's a big difference on this commitment thing. In other words, the all-in situation. If people are seeing, essentially, the same activities going on by the executives, rather than the desired change, they're going to say, well, I can wait this one out, too. 
And basically, these are the common pitfalls that we have to look at. Now, the biggest one, again, is the organization resistance. It is sort of like, how should I put this? It's sort of like a momentum that's built up, you know, a ball rolling downhill. It's, It's sort of hard to turn it around. And it's least understood by most practitioners. It's it's not something that most people study, especially when it comes to the magic of digital transformation, which tends to be done by the technology folks who are really not skilled in the human side of this thing. Not because they're bad people, because you never learn about it, never hear about it. My objective is to write the code and get it out there. Well, there's a lot more to it uh, that's there. And this resistance affects everybody by the way same thing would happen in the technology organization when a new technique or a new process would be involved there so it's not just on the business side but it's also on the technology side and this resistance is hard to detect people sometimes are really good at masking these things it would be great if we had a change meter on our forehead um, and it would be essentially reading from no problems Send it my way or don't tell me another thing to change. I've had it. <laughs> be really nice to be able to see it. And, of course, what we have here is four parts of the puzzle. And in this particular episode, we're talking about the human side. Of course, we have the technology transformation, if I can call it that, the business strategy transformation in a digital uh, environment that's there, business process changes that may have to occur, and finally, the human side of this thing, you know, that we're, we're talking about. And this is how work is partitioned, how work is, is developed, the reporting hierarchies, the reporting structures, the motivation, the compensation, the skills, the decommitment of, of some skills, the, the requirement for new skills. All of these come up in the area of the human side of change that's there. And again, You can resist this, but you have to recognize that it is a key component. No matter how much technology you throw at this thing, if the people aren't behind it and actively supporting it, people have a way to make things fail. Um, And sometimes uh, we don't recognize it until it's too late. So a recent study of about 400 digital transformation um, uh, projects said the number one problem cited by 60% of the survey responses to digital transformation issues is what? Resistance to change. Simply resistance to change. And all of us have a number of dynamics that we have to consider. And when we go into this area, we have to consider not just the enterprise. This is something that is, is very important. We're sort of isolated in, in the in the enterprise itself. If you go to an office, for example, you know, eight to four thirty, whatever it is, it's a different environment. It's a third of your life, but at the same time, you're bringing things into it. Some people call it baggage. I don't like that phrase. There's some great things that you can bring in also, but we have to recognize there's external forces that are essentially affecting you and I. Forget the business for for a moment. You and I are human beings. Demographic characteristics, age. We see a workforce now that is is concerned about age, both gray-haired people and, of course, the new people coming into the workforce that's there. 
uh, education, people are seeing more and more people come into the organization. Uh, one of the entry points uh, when I was a, a young whippersnapper was a college education. We're seeing now, you know, billionaires being uh, being um, essentially uh, uh, out there running organizations that you know did not have a college degree that's there. The question of skill level. Does passing a multiple guess exam make one skilled? I use that phrase on purpose. There is an incredible number of in quote certifications that are out there in various skills that require you to pass a multiple guess exam. And I use that phrase on purpose. Come on now, that doesn't make you a pro by any means. It means that you passed a multiple guess exam with 70% or something like that. I have a friend uh, that's a private pilot. And one day, Sherm uh, um, was. We were chatting about this, and he got his uh, he got his uh, 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 advanced uh, certification for flying, um, and uh, was able to use instrumentation. So he got his instrument rating as a private pilot. And um, I said, uh, you know, how'd you do on the exam? And he looked at me with a big smile on my face, on my face, and and his face, because he uh, he knew what I was asking. And Sherm said to me, he says, I got 100%. And then he, he went on and said, the passing grade was 70. But which 30% did you get wrong was the question. <laughs> That's a great statement. This is a silly thing. It's the skills going on that's there. And we can use tons of different analogies. I don't care how many books you read about becoming a golfer. You got to do more than read a book and pass an exam to become a Tiger Woods. And we can get all these examples that are out there. And there's more and more of the workforce and more of the hiring people that are looking at, at these skill levels and seeing certification and they don't recognize that it's basically passing a multiple guess exam. And one of the things about the internet now is you can find an incredible number, unfortunately, of these exams that are out there and you just do a copy and paste, you know, that's out there. Gender. Um, we, we are now looking at all sorts of things when it comes to uh, the gender, gender activities with the, the mixing of, of things that are out there. Not positive or negative. It's just a recognition that it was something that the workforce did not deal with even 20 years ago, you know, that was out there. And, of course, the, the one that we hear about all the time on, on your favorite newscast is immigration and the effects positive and negative, you know, that we're seeing. Technological advances. These are all external forces of change that are on, uh, you know, are on us. How much of this can we ab uh, actually absorb? Market changes. Mergers and acquisitions, domestic and international competition that's going on. What we have to recognize about the Internet is the Internet has, has, has turned distance and time to about zero. But I remember a, a famous book that was written by a, a very prestigious author, and I read this gentleman all the time, just some great stuff. And the book was called The World is Flat. But I sat back, and with all due respect, I said, wait a minute. The world is not flat, flat. The world is still tribal. There are still local concerns that are out there. So, yes, the Internet brought distance and time to zero. But there's still a lot of local tribalism, so to speak. In other words, and, and it's good. In other words, the village wants to stay together. You know that we have to uh, to, to to look at. 
And of course, financials, recessions, uh, stock markets and changes going on there. And finally, the last external force of change is social and political pressures, values, leadership, um, the brinksmanship, you know, what does war mean nowadays? You know, that, that phrase itself, is it people pointing gun, guns at each other or sending nasty uh, malicious viruses uh, through the Internet uh, at each other? I mean, wh- wh- what does that mean right now? So once again, all of these forces of change are something that we have to look at externally. We also have, of course, the internal forces of change, human resource problems, unmet job needs, job dissatisfaction. Job satisfaction, of course, is what we're looking for that's there. Absenteeism and turnover that's out there. Productivity. How do you measure that? And some of you have seen some of the articles, you know, about some of the largest corporations in the world, uh, you know, the, the people there are just complaining incessantly about the pressures that they're feeling about productivity, you know, measured on a by moment by moment basis and not being able to meet certain requirements that are out there. I'm just repeating, again, the things that are out there. I'm not trying to judge. We're just talking about the in, internal forces of change as we approach essentially this digital era that's out there. Managerial and decision-making processes. This is something that is always interesting. In other words, conflicting values that you as a staff member may see that's out there. The questioning of leadership, the difference between leadership and management that's out there. Reward systems, how are they being affected? How are they changing? in this digital environment? How do we we measure those those types of things? And finally, from an internal force of change, structural reorganizations, you know, that are going on there. You know, how do you measure a team's productivity versus the individual's productivity or the team's value versus the individual value? These are all essentially new things that are upon us as we go into this digital transformation world. This is the things that we have to recognize beyond the technology. It's the soft stuff. And it's a little mushy and gushy. We, we recognize that. But it's so vitally important. And so we're going to take a just a quick break here. And when we come back from a break, we're going to talk about essentially some of the forms of resistance to change that we see and essentially ways to overcome that resistance. And then we'll go into the action model that we suggest that you use as you embark on the organizational change coupled to the digital transformation you're going through. This is Sam Holzman. You're listening to the 2020s Enterprise. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges. 
with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to this episode of The 2020s Enterprise. We're talking about the human side of change and putting together a, essentially a methodology, a process we call the action model for change. Before we, before we get into that, we're going to be talking about essentially, uh, when we left off in our previous segment, the resistance to change. It's a natural activity that you and I go through. If you think about your daily life that's there, it tends to be an emotional response, actually, and a behavioral response to a real or imagined threat, real or imagined. To you and I, it's real. To somebody else, they say, oh, I can't believe they're, that they're thinking this way. Well, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's what you think about it, whether it's a real or imagined threat to an established routine, whether it's a r- r- work routine, and this is, of course, what we're talking about in this episode, versus a personal one. That's the thing that we, we're trying to see here. And the common forms of resistance to change is something you probably witness all the time. Attacking the new idea, saying, ah, that's not going to work. Uh, we tried that before, that's there. Asking a lot of questions, sort of like trying to, you know, de- de- defer the actions by bringing up all sorts of issues that out uh, out there. What's even worse, in my opinion, is sometimes you get the silent treatment, just no response at all. And that's kind of dangerous because we don't know what people are thinking and it tends to be usually on the negative side, unfortunately, or a troubled look. You know, it's one of those quizzical types of looks uh, that's there. Sometimes we get the situation and say, you know, this is not fair to us, whoever us is. You know, over there, they're, they're going to be happy. We, we are not going to be happy. The intellectualization of, of the discussion and why the current approach is better. And that's, again, that fear that people are going to be displaced. And we understand that. And everyone needs to understand that thing. Bringing up past negative results of changes that occurred. You know, well, well, you know, we tried this before or we tried something very similar. You know, this is about, this is a little different, you know, but it, it didn't work before that was out there. And some people say, you know what, we don't need this. We're doing fine. We're making enough money. We, you know, we've got great customers and, and great products and all we have to do is sit here. Just remember some of the big organizations of the past and where they are today. It's a kind of a dangerous thing that's going on. Or, of course, the other thing that we sometimes hear is, all you got to do is. Anytime you hear that phrase, all you got to do is, put your hand over your pocket because you know it's going to cost money. All you got to do is is a very dangerous phrase. People are minimizing what's going on you know, in the, in the activity. Now, how do you overcome this? How do you overcome this activity here? Number one, I'm sorry, I've got to say it, education and communication. You got to tell people, 
One of the ways that we have seen leading organizations look at this when we've had the privilege of working with them is what we call lunch and learns. And whether it's actually uh, in a meeting room or today, of course, as a webinar or a live broadcast or something like that, these things work pretty well. And some of the organizations we've had privilege to work with, they actually, you know, conduct these somewhat on a daily basis. And and uh, I know how many times I've been videotaped 15-minute segments on, on what is going on there to get people comfortable uh, as to what is going on, and, you know, in the in, in change going on there. Education and communication, ex- trying to demystify what is going on. And that's really what we're talking about here, demystification. Yes, there may be some activities that may not be comfortable for everybody, but hopefully through education and communication, people can see how they can participate and they can essentially move forward that's there. Um, This is one that I don't like, and it's essentially coercion. And why do I have to bring it up? Because we've seen organizations essentially use this. Um, I'm not real happy about it, but I'm just reporting on what we've seen out there in the world of change, especially nowadays, with some job pressures people are seeing. And people use it because, you know, when speed is essential, you know, hey, we got to do this by Tuesday. I don't care what you're thinking. I don't care about you, essentially. This is going to happen, you know, that's out there. And it's speedy, and it can overcome resistance for a period of time. And after that period of time, um, when you have people mad, so to speak, you've got some issues that are there. Let's go back to the positive side. Participation and involvement. Why not get the workforce involved in this particular change? Some people say, well, um, they're not skilled to do that. Well, that's a signal right away that this change may be something that needs to not be backed off on. But if that's the case, what are we going to do with those people? Are we going to eliminate them or, you know, disenfranchise them? Are we going to reeducate them? Are we going to give them their walking papers? Uh, People don't like this, but essentially when it comes to on the positive side, again, participation involvement, people who participate are committed to the change and their input may become valuable because they sort of know what's going on at the worker level, at the lowest possible level, and at the highest level within the organizations that are out there. Now, disadvantage, of course, a little bit of time consuming there. And essentially the participants may come back with some valid arguments that say, hey, uh, these uh, uh these white shirt, red tied, uh, uh, black suited consultants were actually incorrect. Oh, by the way. Yeah, but wait a minute. We signed the purchase order. We're going to go ahead with this. Well, maybe the participants have an ability to address some of the things that are out there. And again, on the positive side, facilitation and support. In other words, help people through this adjustment period, you know, that is, you know, that is going on. It's an investment Yes, but it's an investment that is going to pay off that's there. And we, But we also have to, of course, recognize there is an expense involved there. But on the positive side, if we can get the present workforce, if they're doing a great time, job to learn a new skill or essentially look at things a little bit different and participate in this, and we can support them in this area, it's tremendous. And then we can, of course, 
come up with something a little bit more, if I can use the phrase democratic, negotiation. In other words, if we do have a situation where there are some losses in some areas in the organization or, or essentially losing out more than the others, if I can use that activity, and some considerable power is going to be lost in a certain organization, and, and, and they, people can sense it. You can't, it's hard to hide it. Maybe there's a way to address that. In other words, is there some negotiation that can be done uh, in that particular area? Sometimes it can't. But we have to look at all of these strategies, and I've listed four of them so far, and there's just one more I'm going to list here as possibilities, and there could be a lot more that we think about before we essentially look at it. Once again, the common thing that we have to recognize about all of these new magical mystical things that we're talking about and technologies is that it's the human element that has to be on board or else that Failure number, which is now 60% and rising, by the way, not going down. As they say, the low-hanging fruit has already been picked. It's going to go up. So we have to look at it. And if nothing else works, perhaps money. <laughs> yep. As I said, I'm, I'm pretty straight with people when it comes to this stuff. You, you can't hide behind it. And basically... A reward structure, changing the reward structure or incentivizing people to take a risk. Now, I refuse to use the phrase, I'm only going to use it once here, fail fast. That drives me crazy. Here's what I want to do is succeed fast and reward that success as publicly as possible. So my approach is succeed fast and demonstrate that this change is positive and the results of that positive activity that's out there. And, and basically, of course, the disadvantage, positive cash flow, you know, that's out there and, and possibly the expectations. Well, I'm going to wait around until the airline offers a thousand dollars. If I don't, if I take the next flight versus $500 that they're offering right now, and we've got to be careful. Uh, we've got to be careful about that. We recognize that. So we talked about essentially the concepts of bioengineering, and here we're talking about the organizational component. The forces of change that are out there, the resistances to change that people have, and possibly some strategies to overcome that resistance. And within that, we've actually developed I hate to call it a cookbook because people are saying, well, you're, you're putting everybody in that same bucket. But there is a process, an engineered process that we believe is pretty logical that covers five elements. And then, of course, the last one is intervention, which is sort of like we're preparing us for possible, not failures, but sidestepping of the actions we want to take. In other words, here's the script, so to speak, and here's what we want to happen, but sometimes it doesn't. We want to be prepared for those types of things. We don't want to be surprised for them and say, oh, what do we do now? And we call that model the action model, A-C-T-I-O-N, the action model for change. The A, analysis. The C, communication. The T, training and development and reskilling. The I, 
involvement, the O, organizational structure, alignment, and development, and then the smaller case N, intervention. Intervention strategies essentially is what we're looking at to see, to be prepared for these things that may occur. Of course, we want to have zero interventions if possible, but that may happen. And so we want essentially a series of understandings. We're studying the possible negative aspects of things so that we can prepare for these things. We hope that we don't have to pull them out of essentially, you know, our, 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 uh, our kit, our toolbox that's there. So we begin with an analysis of what is, what is going on. Um, I like to start all of the engagements that we have in what I call the res- desired state. Where do we want to be? People say, well, you know, we need to know where the as is. I'll get to that in a moment. This has to do with studying the human, again, concept of change. If we essentially put a bogey out there we'd like to meet, in other words, that desired state, some people call it the future state, whatever you like to call it, people sometimes come to the charge. They say, yeah, we can do this. There's an excitement that's built up. But we have to essentially analyze what is possible. If it's impossible, if people really think that this is well beyond what is what is possible, then there's going to be an issue there also. I want to come back to uh, essentially the moon landing, which we're celebrating uh, now. You know, about 50 years from the from the Apollo moon landing, and and remember. A lot of the, I, I am older than that, so I still remember being glued to the television, uh, watching all of this happen. And of course, at the time, you know, President Kennedy said, you know, we're going to get the person to the moon and back again. And people said, a lot of people said, yeah, sure. Yeah, call me when it's done, <laughs> you know, that's out there. We've done a lot of studying about how that, how that happened, how, how they get all those people essentially to that one target point that's out there. Well, that was the analysis. And once they looked at that, they sort of backed up from, well, we know where the moon is. We know that we need to get there. Now let's essentially work backwards from there. When people start with the as-is state, they try to work forward, and all they see are these inhibitors. Well, if we can start from the end objective and work back to the as-is state, we can possibly see some of those things that we can do to address that. So we always want to start the analysis that we're doing of the change with the desired state where we want to be. And so we go through essentially sort of a a consistent approach to this. We start off with a planning activity. Everything that we're talking about here has a beginning and a middle and an end cycle. And we call it uh, plan, define, design, deliver. Plan, define, design, deliver. And each one of these has a cycle. It's not one and done once again, but it's actually something that people can see. It's not analysis paralysis or planning paralysis. It's timed out uh, to develop, to develop, uh, excuse me, to deliver each one of these elements so people can see progress. And we try to make it as non-mysterious as possible. And so we develop the plan, publish the plan, 
verify that, that uh, the actions we want to take, and we close that phase out. And each one of these steps, we use that same approach, a preparation step, an identification ex- uh, step, a publishing step, and then closure so people can see what is going on. The action model from change actually has actions in it. Once we have that, we define the analysis strategy. How are we going to approach this? Who's the participants? What's the scope of what we're trying to do? Are we trying to uh, you know, put a person on the moon? Or are we just trying to make sure that our website isn't hacked next week? Not that one is more important than the other by any means. We, of course, put together some strategies of, of making sure that all the stakeholders are identified and looked at and put together a set of requirements. From that... We talk about a design approach. How are we going to design, essentially, that analysis activity? What's the steps we're going to go through to actually do the analysis? We develop the design requirements there, analyze that, once again, publish that for comment, hopefully, and then we close out that particular element also. And then we get into, essentially, the delivery of the analysis approach. In other words, now we start the actual action and of analyzing the desired state and the as a state and seeing if all of this stuff actually will sort of like fit together. And from that, we essentially come up with a, if I can use the phrase, a suggested approach, suggested solution, whatever you'd like to call it. We implement that and then essentially we evaluate the effectiveness of that analysis of approach that we had here. Remember, that's the A, you know, that's out there. So we have all of the pieces, the analysis activities start with a planning action, a definition of the analysis strategy, the design of the analysis strategy, in other words, how we're going to carry it out, the delivery of that strategy, and then essentially supporting the, the, the uh, strategy activities. And that's a closed loop system. And one of the things, one of the engineering principles that's out there is a closed loop system produces quality. An open loop system produces defects. And unfortunately, that discipline is something that we need more of, not just when it comes to organizational design, but a lot of things. We've got to close the loop to see whether or not the actions that we have there actually produced the desired results and what mitigation uh, what uh, mitigation actions we may may take in the future, uh, you know, that's out there. So this analysis approach um, for change can be done at any level, the enterprise level, the business level, the business unit level. But we have to also consider, with all due respect, the individual, the individual person that's going to go through the change that we desire and what effect on that individual is going to be. Now, that may sound burdensome. The question is, how do you do that relatively quickly? And essentially, as you're spreading the activities out there, and that's what this whole teaching thing is about. So we covered essentially the A in the action model. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return from our break, we're going to be talking about the other components and the action model for change. This is Sam Holzman. You're listening to the 2020s Enterprise. We'll see you back in just a few minutes. Thank you.
Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. This is Sam Holzman. In today's episode, we're talking about the human side of digital transformation the human side of change. And we described in our previous two segments essentially an approach to looking at change, analyzing change, and figuring out a methodology, a process, an explicit methodology and approach that we can execute at the individual level, at the development department level, the division level, of course, the whole enterprise level, the human part of the change activities. And the reason for this is that organizations are finding the more difficult part of digital transformation by far is the human side of this. Not only because of resistance, because of, but all of the changes that are going on. And in our previous segment, we began talking about the model that we put together for this. We call the action model. Analysis, communication, training, involvement, organizational structure, and intervention. In our previous segment, we covered the analysis portion. That's the biggest side. In other words, analyzing what the change is, putting a game plan together, starting once again with the desired state of what you're trying to do. I know this sounds funny. What is the objective of digital transformation? What are you trying to achieve with that or any other change that you're talking about? Starting off with the desired state, so to speak, and then working back from that to the as-is state to see if there is a path or if there isn't a clear path, what does one have to do to be able to do that? And we describe that as the analysis of the action model for change that we're talking about. The C in the model stands for communication. And there are incredible numbers of different ways to communicate uh, today. And there isn't one better than the other we have found. Uh, people are getting more and more comfortable with, if I can say, remote uh, activities. But people don't want to be lectured to. So communication is a two-way street. And whether it's uh, using a, a webinar type of thing or you know email communications or chats or something like that, we have to remember it is more than just lecturing. And that's why we call it communication and not lecturing, you know, that's out there. And we'll have to put it together a strategy for that. 
is there one communication type for a certain group of people? Are there multiple communications types, you know, that are out there? Is the, is the communication required on a daily, weekly, monthly? I, I don't know. I can't tell you ahead of time. But we have to sort of think about this depending on the magnitude of the change that's out there. And then we'll define the strategy that we're looking, uh, that we're looking at. Uh, we're going to tell people we're going to have two lunch and learns every month. Um, and every, uh, other, uh, uh, every other part of the week, we'll have a, a webinar and a topic uh, that has to do with the change that we're looking for, the direction that we're going in. Um, and then from that, that'll be a 15-minute uh, webinar. And then we'll have 15 minutes of open discussion, whatever you want to call it. And little subtle things about, should, is this going to be anonymous or not? Is this going to be, uh, you know, identi- people are going to be identified? All of these little conditions. And as we've been working with organizations, you know, uh, on the changes that are going on, these little differences make a difference. And part of it is culture. In other words, how do people, you know, feel about this? Uh, we were working with a, and I hope no one is taking this as a stereotypical uh, statement here. We're working with a, a, a German um, uh, manufacturing company, very large German manufacturing company. And in the analysis that we were doing uh, in the communication strategy, they wanted every person identified. And they said, if somebody is going to make a comment, we want to know who that is. And that was a little different than what I expected as an American, to be honest with you. And they said, no, because if somebody says this change on a one to five scale, where five being very positive is a five, and somebody else is saying it's a one, we want to know who those people are so that we can get them together or chat with both sides on why one person thinks this is the greatest thing in the universe and the other person thinks that the world's going to come to an end. And we've got to be able to follow up and communicate with these folks that are there. So within this organization, everything was essentially an open book and it worked very well in that cultural activity and organization that was there. Again, I'm not stereotyping, but that was the experience that we had with this one organization. Uh, uh, Contrast that with what I love to call the nation of California. I'm just joking about that phrase where virtually everything that's done in organizations out there, anonymity is very important. Uh, You know, it's out there. People are kind of uncomfortable. And again, I want to be very careful about broad brushing, stereotyping, all those other words that I want to use to essentially make sure that I'm trying to give you ideas that are out there. There is no one script, ladies and gentlemen. There is not one script. If anybody tells you that, again, as I said before in the previous segment, put your hand over your wallet because it's going to cost you some money. So this whole communication strategy has to be looked at as to how people will essentially look at this new idea, this new direction in relationship to what they're doing today and what they've done yesterday that's out there. Then we'll essentially design the communication strategy to affect that. And there will be multiple designs that are out there. And then finally deliver it. And from the delivery, we'll essentially support the communication strategy, evaluate its effectiveness, conduct implementation assessments of that communication, and then come back around again. Each one of these letters, the ACTION, I'm, I'm giving you a, a sort of a detailed description. 
But I want to emphasize here that we work, we like to work in about six elapsed week cycles. This not, I didn't say six months or six years. And that's because when it comes to this stuff, there is no, there's a script, but we have to, once it's in, uh, implemented in the organization, there's a high probability there's going to be some adjustments because it's about the human side, the people side. So just because the organization's making automobiles and another organization's making automobiles or one organization's making potato chips a certain way and another organization's making potato chips a different way, the strategy may be different because of the workforce, the environment that's out there, and all of these things that, that we, we may see, demographics, everything that we chatted about in this, uh, in this episode is involved uh, with this. And so we have to essentially evaluate the effectiveness and then make some changes. It's a continuous change process that's there. So A, analysis. C, communication. The T is what? Training. Training and development. There's usually going to be some things that are going to be different than what people experienced before. And the organization has to decide on whether they're going to invest in that training or not. And I can give you models that sometimes surprise me. We have had organizations come to us uh, for training, for example, on enterprise architecture, business architecture, and they said their staff is going to essentially do this 8 to 4.30, Monday through Friday. We're going to bring everybody together in, in a training course uh, during the, quote, normal work day. We've had other organizations to say, no way. Uh, the training will occur from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday evenings until we're done. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I do have a belief one way or the other, but it's the organizational requirements that are there for whatever reasons we have to accommodate that to make sure that it's, it's most effective. So in the training and development approach, of course, they would be different. Somebody sitting, if 20 people are sitting in a room together for a week, it's very different than people sitting remotely, for example, uh, 5 to 8 p.m., Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We all know about fatigue. We all know about all these things that are going on here. We have to, you know, essentially define these training courses differently to make sure that they are effective, you know, that's out there. And, of course, we deliver that and, once again, come around the cycle, come back, essentially, to make sure that it was effective. We do the assessment. We'd run a course or two and then, essentially, move forward and make those adjustments. The I stands for involvement. In other words, what level of participation do you want the stuckies, so to speak, uh, to be involved in? And that could be the management. It could be the, the individual participants. What involvement strategy is there? Can we have train the trainer, for example? That would be fantastic. Uh, so we have to design, essentially, that involvement strategy to make sure that all of the various constituents that we're interested in making sure – are getting an effective approach here are in there. And we'd plan for all these different activities. If there's two segments or one segment or five segments, that would all be in there. The same type of approach, plan, define, design, deliver, and then, of course, support and make changes that we may have to, you know, as we move forward. And the final capital letter is O, organization. And this is very sensitive. This is the organization structure, organization alignment, 
and the development of that and how much that is going to change that's out there. And making this explicit is something that some organizations are uncomfortable with. You know, we don't want to tell anybody what's going on there. Um, I don't know what the right strategy is. Uh, I like an open book most of the time. Notice what I said here. Most of the time, I know that I'm being, you know, I'm putting quali- qualifications on there. But an open book tends to be a little bit better than a closed book. The surprises are really kind of, kind of difficult. And we, of course, define the organization structure. In other words, the logic behind it. And if we can give people that logic, they might may not like it a hundred percent, but at least they can see a path from the beginning to the middle and an end. And finally. The design of that organization structure, delivering the new structure, and then, believe it or not, evaluating its effectiveness. And giving people the recognition and the understanding that this is, we think, correct as best as we can with the resources that we have. But there may be some changes once we see the effectiveness of that new structure that's there. So that's the ACTIO when we finally get to the one that we don't want to use, which we call the intervention. So it's I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N, of course, intervention. And excuse me for using the N there. Uh, I couldn't come up with a better phrase many decades ago when we started looking at this. Maybe there's a better one. So what, what this is all about is essentially making sure that we have a way to mitigate what we're seeing. In other words, a plan for the negative sides that may be there as best we can. What if this? Then we'll do this. What if this? We'll do this. What if this? So we're planning for the negatives on purpose because we know that they may be there. And if we can have these sort of in our toolbox, we don't want to use them. But if we have them in our toolbox, we're essentially going to be able to affect that intervention a lot better than saying, oh my gosh, what do we do now? Because time is of the essence. And if people can see that we've actually thought this out to that level of involvement, there's a positive activities you know, that's going on. And once again, we design it, we define it, we deliver the intervention when we need it, and of course, support that intervention strategy that's there. So, What we just talked about was the components of change, the A, analysis, the C, communication, the T, training and development, the I, involvement, the O, organization structure and alignment, and the N, intervention. So when you approach change in your organization, please keep this model in mind. I believe that you'll be well served if you take a look at this and look at the action model when that change is occurring. You've been listening to Sam Holtzman. That's me, the 2020s Enterprise. Thank you for listening. Please contact us if you have any questions. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holtzman, again for another edition of our program next Wednesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then. 